Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello. Hello. Hey, Mom. Thanks for calling me back. I was calling to tell you that, you know, I'm working on 30 Pop, and I wanted to let you know that Aaron is back this week. Oh, Aaron. He's wonderful. <sighs> he is wonderful. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I wanted to reassure you that you can actually listen this week, because for your sake... He washed his mouth. Oh, I'm so glad. What did you wash it with? No, not washed it. He watched it. He he watched his oh, language. Oh, watched it. Oh, okay. For your benefit. Well, give him a little hug for me then. Well, he lives in a different city, but my other friend was also on, and he did not watch his mouth, but I think I cut those parts out. So it's, you should be good to listen to this episode. Well, your other listeners and I will be very happy about that. Well... I think they like the way that we talk, but that's okay. Okay, we have lots of nieces and nephews and grandparents. And they all love it. No, Jim and Crickets. Okay. Anyway, I love you, and I will talk to you later. Okay, thank you, bud. Thanks for calling back. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 1, Episode 4, Posers, Pop Stars, and Druggies. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, March 11th, 1989. Hello friends, welcome to Episode 4 of 30 Pop. I'll be honest, when I looked at what was happening this week in 1989, I wasn't sure how this episode would turn out. It just didn't feel like there'd be a ton to talk about since the number one song and movie in the country stayed the same as last week. But I couldn't have been more wrong. As I prepped for last week's episode, I found myself watching the music video for Debbie Gibson's number one single, Lost in Your Eyes. And when I thought about who my guests would be, I knew we'd have a good time. And I was right. Before we jump into that, though, there was another notable album release this week in 1989 that I want to be sure to cover. When this particular album released, the U.S. debut for the German pop duo who released it, American fans went absolutely berserk over it. One of their biggest fans, at least in my little world, was my older brother Josh. So we sat down again this week to chat about it. Josh, welcome back to 30 Pop. Thanks for having me. We had you on a few weeks ago to talk about Bobby Brown and sports icons of the late 80s. Gotta love Bobby Brown. Today I want to talk to you about a specific little anomaly in music history. Okay. By the name of Millie Vanilli. (laughs) So 30 years ago this week was the release of Millie Vanilli's Girl You Know It's True album great song you're the only person i know literally on the planet that owned that album <laughs> i think i actually had the single is that what it was i had the single it was the blame it on the right i remember single. my mom took her car to the car and said somebody stole my single oh, out of the car i was heartbroken i hate that you feel that way because i'm sure it was me that stole it no it was at the car wash somebody <sighs> swiped it <laughs> so that's an interesting memory for me that you used to be able to buy cassette 
singles. Yeah. You would literally go to the store. For like three bucks. And buy a cassette tape that had one song on one each song. side. Yes. Or sometimes it'd be a maxi single, which would have five versions of the same song. Yeah. Which is the worst idea. But like in a world today where you don't even buy music, you just listen to whatever you want or you look it up on YouTube or Absolutely. you do whatever. We used to drive to the store and spend actual money for a little cardboard and, sleeve and with a cassette The crazy thing is, once you listen to it, you couldn't just listen to it again. You had to rewind yes, the tape right. to listen to it again. Or you flip it over and listen to the B-side. Yeah. It was brutal. Crazy. It was a but, rough life. So you, but you were a fan of Millie Vanilli. Absolutely. Tell me about that fan. They were different. The long hair and the dance and the different look. And their songs had a great hook. They were a lot of fun growing up in that era. It just kind of fit in with the Bobby Browns and the, you know, all the different R&B and, and pop sounds that were there. And so they were awesome. And, and they won all the Grammys and all the awards. And the girls loved him. So the guys wanted to be them. And then, you know. And then what? So we may have some folks listening who are younger than 30 and may it not know out, what a Millie Vanilli is. It comes out is. that they were dancing, but Robin Fab weren't singing. They were lip syncing the whole way. So it wasn't even their voices. It's crazy. While that sucked for future albums, it didn't diminish them in my in my eyes. I so still, you're still a fan. I'm still a fan. That's, Don't forget my number. Blame it on the rain. Great songs. Girl, you know it's true. Those are the three songs that jump out at me. Were, yeah, there, were there other big singles? Those were the big three that I remember. To be honest, I don't remember the entire album. I remember those three songs, and I'm pretty sure I have those songs still in my library somewhere. I'm confident you do. What's funny about the whole debacle is that it should have been plain to everyone. The guys could barely speak English. <laughs> thick, thick accents. What's funny, I, I read an article, and it said that the single was done before anybody even knew who Rob and Fab were, and they I'm were sure. recruited afterwards, you know, because they had a good look. They were good-looking guys that could dance, and, I mean, it was one of the greatest marketing ploys ever. I mean, yeah. it, it sold millions. I mean, they won a Grammy for Best New Artist. I'm so curious, like... <laughs> The guys who were actually singing these parts, they surely had like hopes and dreams and aspirations of being artists, right? <laughs> you would think. I mean, they must have been some really ugly dudes to like be writing the best songs that were, you know, Grammy winning material, yeah. or maybe they weren't writing them, but they were singing them. Yeah. I guess they were like sloth on goonies or something. They just didn't have a look, and but they could sing. Yeah. But they couldn't dance. They, they weren't marketable, Yeah, which is crazy nowadays. Thinking back, when we see artists now that are marketed and have huge success that maybe don't have that same look. Yeah. This would be a hard uh, thing to pull off today. It would be crazy. It was a time of lip sync. It was a beautiful time. You had them. You had CNC Music Factory. It was awesome. Was that also lip synced? CNC Music Factory was I know also the, lip synced. I know the, the girl, girl in the video. The girl. The girl. Yeah. yeah. Freedom Williams, I think, actually rap, But the girl in the video... Right. was not the hot chick on MTV. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody else singing. I do remember that. Wow. But yeah, it, Millie Vanilli was, they were huge. But My, how things have changed. Great music. I love those guys. Well, Josh, <laughs> thank you for bearing your embarrassing soul on this show. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> the look on your face just... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, and I'm so glad you're a part of this show. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll see you next time. All right, I'll be here. I'd like to personally apologize to my brother for that little crack there at the end of our conversation. He's wonderful, and I so love the way he continues to embrace and celebrate the music from our youth. He's such a good sport with all my teasing. Plus, he deserves it for all the physical and verbal harassment he's given me over the years. I loved having him on again and look forward to having him back often. Another returning guest this week, here to talk about the music video for Debbie Gibson's Lost in Your Eyes from Episode 1, my dear Keanu Reeves-loving acting and filmmaking friend Aaron Hale. 
And with him, my high school psychology teaching and tennis coaching buddy, Nate Williams. With me today are my dear friends, actor and filmmaker returning for the second time, Aaron Hale. Aaron, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And high school teacher... Nate Williams. Nate, welcome. Luke, I'm so freaking excited to be on this show. You know, I have, since I thought of this show, I have longed for this moment Uh where where you and I, because we do this a lot. We'll sit down and sort of reminisce on nostalgic things and you're really good at it. So I'm so glad to have you in front of a mic. Oh, this is so fantastic. So it's funny because the thing that we're talking about today is something you're probably not terribly familiar with, but I think you'll have good things to offer. So we just sat and watched... The music video for Debbie Gibson's Lost, I get lost, lost in Your Eyes. In your Careful, eyes. I don't want to pay royalties on that. So, Okay, so 30 years ago this week, this is the number one song in the country for the second week in a row, and she's just taken over the Billboard chart. So she's also got the number one album with Electric Youth. That is wild to me. Yes, and such a great title. I mean, that sounds like a good band name, actually. Electric Youth is yeah. a great name, yeah. Yeah, and I still remember the artwork for that because I remember when this album came out, Electric Youth. I was never a huge fan. But I remember the, loving the idea of Debbie Gibson. Oh, yeah, for sure. I want us to talk specifically, though, about this music video because I watched it earlier today and <laughs> <laughs> I have some thoughts on it, but I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on it, right? Have y'all seen that music video before? I'd never seen that. So let me just tell you, I'll just I'll lead off with the thing that jumps out at me. She wears... 11 different outfits. <laughs> Is that true? This, like you I counted? just counted yeah, as we watched. 11. 11 different, completely different You would out- not know outfits. that was the same person. You really wouldn't. If, it was, <laughs> if you saw her in 11 different outfits like that, you would never know that. With 11 hairstyles. Because the hairstyles are all different. She looks like a teenage girl. One point, she looks like an 80s pop star. Another one, she looks like an eight-year-old girl. And then she looks like a mom in mom jeans. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. yeah a and few it, of them could even pass in 2019. It's true. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Some of them I really like. Oh, I was very into was, the one where she's singing in the cemetery. Yes. And then the hat. Uh, the that, hat with like the dark eyes. But there were, so the there were two different hats, blossom, though. though. Yeah. Yeah, so there was the blossom hat, but then there was also the hat like you wear, like the Stetson-y type yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Which and was like a signature thing for her. She always had the weird hat. I like this look here with the black hat and the bangs. She's got like cut across. Anyway. With the, the shoulder the, pads. The giant shoulder pads. I pro- That jacket probably fits me. <laughs> but the thing about it, this looks like a video you'd see on YouTube now of some high school age girl like made with her friends now yeah you know what i mean there's nothing about this not even the song to me sounds like a professional like you know what i mean like the fact that it starts with her playing piano and and like a little intro and then it all of a sudden transitions into like studio quality clearly recorded yeah it's like the percussion is like none of the percussion is real it's like even the triangle hits at the very beginning yeah, are very yeah. They're computer. on a keyboard, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so good. Yeah, there, you're right, man. There is a lot of Blossom look going on yeah. in this video. The vests, the... It takes me out of it. When she's running through Central Park in her athletic gear, yeah. Yeah, I get back into it, and here I am. I can't stop staring. And with the <laughs> and with the running through Central Park, she's being chased by the love interest in the video, which we really need we to need, talk about. Yeah, that's where I was headed. I so the very first time it shows him at the start of the video, she starts singing about getting lost in his eyes. <laughs> it cuts to a black and white shot of him, but his eyes like glowing blue. Like, <laughs> like he's Yeah, and you mentioned that he is like a young David Hasselhoff. Oh, yeah. He belongs on the beach. What's he running through Central he, Park and for? And he's got the feathery hair. 
Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Feathery curls, even. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and then there's that moment where the string quartet comes in that, <laughs> that they walk there up, are no they strings walk upon. Yeah. in the song. There may be some keyboards that sound like <laughs> swelling strings, yeah. but it is not real. It's true. Oh, it's so bad. This song, if kids today still made mixtapes for their crushes, mm. as they did and we did yeah. in 89, this is guaranteed to be on that mixtape of just letting them know that you love them so much. I love for You sure. are my world. I want to put this on a mixtape. Oh, God. I and do send not- it to my wife now. What's funny, Nate, is that, that so one of the things we're going to start doing on this show, this is a good way for me to introduce it to people, is we're going to allow people to, you remember back in the day, you could call into a radio station and dedicate a song. Oh, it's Sunny 99.1. Yeah, so we're going to do that here. And people can call in and dedicate an episode to their loved one with a little oh. message. So if you have a message for your wife, you are welcome to have the first dedication. Oh, Kathleen, lost in your eyes from the moment I How met you. How many times does she everything. say "lost in your eyes"? In <laughs> you this just song. totally interrupted <laughs> his dedication. I'm so sorry. It's all right. I don't know how serious it was. <laughs> so okay, so the lyrics in this song are terrible. Granted, they were written by a 17 year old, but they're bad. And I want us to talk about them in a brand new segment called "Bad Words." Aaron, so you have a long history as a songwriter. I want you yeah. to tell me what you think okay, of this. Okay, I was looking them up too, but you read them. I get lost in your eyes, and I feel my spirits rise. Yeah. And soar like the wind. Is it love that I am in? <laughs> <laughs> I get weak in a glance. Isn't this what's called romance? <laughs> <laughs> the way that question is worded. And now I know, because when I'm lost, I can't let go. Isn't this... What's called romance? <laughs> this is 1989's version of Taylor Swift. Like, and this was she's like a teenager. I mean, she dominates the charts for the next several weeks. Did she write this? She wrote yeah. this, yeah. I don't mind not knowing what I'm headed for. You can take me to the skies. It's like being lost in heaven when I'm lost in your eyes. Huh. I want to get remarried again just to make those my vows. <laughs> I love that this is moving you in different ways. Than- <laughs> yeah. Kathleen, we need to... Uh, Renew our vows, and don't worry, I've already written mine (laughs) from listening to a song. (laughs) I just fell, don't know why. Something's there we can't deny. And when I first knew was when I first looked at you. It's just so poorly written. And I love, she says lost in your eyes a thousand times in this song. And if I can't find my way, if salvation seems worlds away... Oh, I'll be found when I'm lost in your eyes. Oh, that's deep. I'll be found when I'm lost. And then we get a in your eyes. a reprise at the end there. I get weak in a glance. Isn't this what's called romance? Isn't hold on. Let's <laughs> let's break down the contractions here because we got is not this what what is is, <laughs> is not this what is called romance. <laughs> is so not good. this though? Is not this what is called? <laughs> Romance? It's so, so bad. Take a positive spin on it. You know that some fancy pants Hollywood producer didn't write that song. You know that a teenage girl wrote it. You know, there's authenticity in those lyrics. You know what? Honestly, I appreciate that about it. Though I don't remember any of her music. I was seven years old or whatever when this came out, six years old, and I still had a big crush on Debbie Gibson. Not she's as big gorgeous. As, yeah, she... She's <laughs> coming to Houston this summer, just so you all know. 
You got to get her. She's touring with New Kids on the Block. Oh, wow, it's true. I feel like that's a big move for her career. They've come <laughs> Are back. They playing at a mall? <laughs> no. So yeah, she's touring right now with New Kids on the Block, Salt and Peppa, Tiffany. And naughty by nature. Oh, oh man. I have to go to this. It's coming to Houston. I may have to see if I can get some press passes or something. That, that. would be awesome. You could go backstage and interview everybody. That what would be a wrong dream. turns did Naughty by Nature make in the last thirty years that they ended <laughs> up really, on this that really tour? Is a bizarre addition. Think about their friends that they like came up with in the hip hop world. <laughs> who are watching them now tour with, with new, new kids, kids on the block? block. New kids Tiffany. on the block. Headlining. But they got Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper was a big hip hop act too. Yeah, yeah. They were one of the groups up for the very first rap Grammy, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. They lost. Salt and Pepper did not win the Grammy. Did but... you say Salt and Pepper? Because that's not what they're called. <laughs> Is that Peppa. Peppa. Is that what I said? Yeah. Salt and Pepper. Yeah. There's... Well, <laughs> Salt and Pepper. They didn't win the Grammy, but. 30 years down the road, they're going to be touring with New Kids. Hey, in, in 89, that probably would have seemed like a really big deal. I saw New Kids on the Block in 89. We're going to have okay. that story down that the road. That was my very first concert. Okay, so let's talk real quick. So that music video obviously was ridiculous. On last week's episode, I was sitting down with a couple of folks, who one who is barely 30, one who is not yet 30. They did not grow up with music videos in the way that we did. They grew up with TRL with Carson Daly. Mm-hmm. Which to me doesn't count. It was fine for what it was, but it wasn't what we grew up with. Right. So I'm curious what you guys' memories are of music videos when we were growing up. My first music video memory, uh, music wasn't something that I was about at that age, but we had Paul Abdul last week with Straight Up, but it was Opposites Attract with MC Scat Cat. That's the first one that I really remember. You know what's funny to me is that was a big one for me, but also Paula Abdul with Keanu Reeves in the one where is that? Mm, Yeah, Rush. 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 Yeah, he's like racing. It was very dramatic. It was like watching a movie. Yeah, exactly. And that's what videos were to me. Was like you think of like that one was like that thriller, obviously, like things like that where they were like short films. Yeah, you know, there was more to it than just the song. It was like this entire narrative. Yeah, a big piece of art. What was funny is like very often in those though, the song had nothing to do with that narrative. It was just like, Mm -hmm. why did, (laughs) why did they go there? Yeah, yeah. You know? And also, I mean, that was early on for me, like Rush especially. Sure. And I was already a big fan of Keanu Reeves. So, (laughs) As as we have well established on this show. (laughs) Maybe that's why that one sticks out. But I just remember MTV mostly being around for like Beavis and Butthead for me and like, that's how I was introduced to a lot of yeah. videos. Liquid mm-hmm. Television. Exactly. Nirvana. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, man. yeah. Liquid Television. Yeah. I forgot about that. So yeah. Beavis and Butthead started. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know Frog that. Frog Baseball. Yeah. It's all coming back to me right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Celine Dion. Now where are we saying. going? Yeah. You just, <laughs> ra- we just got rabbit holed. <laughs> okay. So I want to move on from music for a second. There's a couple of things that happened this week in 1989 in the television world mm. that I think are significant enough to be worth mentioning. First... The series finale of the TV show Webster. Oh. Emmanuel Lewis. Do you guys remember Webster? Yes, of course. Tiny kid. That's as far as... Here's my question. Why were there so many shows in the 80s about white families with little black children? That is really weird. Rich white families with poor black children. That's progressive at the time. This is wonderful. It may have had the image of progressive, but I don't know that it was. It was a little little white savior mentality going on. (laughs) What's the one with... Arnold. Different strokes. Different strokes. That was, was that 80s? Yeah, of course. I thought that was in the late 70s. Yeah, that was 80s. I remember watching that. But Webster, I wanted 
to live in that house. Remember, yes. Do you remember my that? entire life? He's got trap doors everywhere. He had that <laughs> secret passageways. Secret and, passageway into the grandfather clock. It's the oh best. My the Papadopoulos family. Is that what they were? Isn't that what they were called? I don't know. George Papadopoulos. He was the cutest little kid. <laughs> he was so Is cute. Papadopoulos, but he was like a, an adult. <laughs> he was eighteen. Yeah, he was like. Papadopoulos, mate, was that Stamos' last name in Family Matters? No. Yeah, no, maybe that's right. Full House. Full, uh, full House, Full House. It's no. something, it's Kitsopoulos, Kitsopoulos, That was maybe. Kitsopoulos, was Jesse's. Jesse Kitsopoulos. Okay. But they changed it, because originally it was Jesse Cochran, or Corcoran, or Cochran, or something, in the very first... Oh, that's a piece of pop culture knowledge that is very impressive. The one episode I remember of Webster that somehow haunted me in some sort of way... <laughs> Was there was an episode where a burglar broke into their house? Do you remember this? No. And Webster hid in the grandfather clock room. That does sound familiar, actually. And I don't remember anything about it except that he was terrified and I was terrified watching it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what show I also put in this category? And it's not the same, but Silver Spoons. You remember that show? Yeah. Was that course. around the same time? Yeah. With yeah. So I was Ricky. reading some stuff on Emmanuel Lewis earlier because he kept getting nominated for this like. Best child actor type award, but he lost. I think he lost one year to Ricky. I know he lost one year to Rick Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder, yeah, then, yeah. So it says from his role, this is on Wikipedia. It says from his role in the television series Webster, Lewis was nominated for four Young Artist Awards. In 1984, he was nominated for Best Young Actor in a Comedy Series for Webster and lost to Rick Schroeder of Silver Spoons. In 85, he was nominated for the same award and went to Billy Jane of It's Not Easy. In 86, he was nominated for Best Young Actor Starring in a Television Series, which Mark Price ended up winning for his performance in Family Ties. In 87, he was nominated for Exceptional Performance by a Young Actor Starring in a Television Comedy or Drama Series, which Kurt Cameron of Growing Pains won. That's the the most specific title I've ever heard for an award. What is it called? Exceptional Performance by a Young Actor Starring in a Television Comedy or Drama Series. So another thing, though, that happened. So besides just the finale of Webster, another show debuted. And in my opinion, changed television forever. The TV show Cops. Ooh, it bad debuted boys. in 89. The very first reality TV show. Is that true? I mean, what other reality TV show had we seen at that point? Unless you count like Judge Wapner or something. Yeah, game shows. But, but n- not like this. Right. Not like reality, you know. Yeah. Huh. Cops. Debuted this week, 30 years ago. I have friends that watch that to this day all the time. That's bizarre. You it have is strange really friends. I know this for a fact, actually, but. <laughs> Cops has always been such an amazing show to me. Really? It's just so bottom of the barrel. You're not saying good. You're saying you are amazed by it. Right. It's okay. unique, and it's very, uh, it's very interesting to watch because it's just so ridiculous it's propaganda (laughs) is what it is it absolutely is yeah that's true so another thing that happened this week in pop culture in the world of vhs tapes now we were all too young to watch this but i'm guessing y'all have seen it as adults the shining released Uh, on vhs this week really yeah wow I just watched that recently with my wife had never seen it. We watched it. I'm still not sure I've seen it. One of the most popular hotel-based movies of all time, <laughs> Edging Out Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> That's like as specific as the awards. There is, there is given credit. Which, when was that? It was like 1980 when that was filmed. I don't know when it was filmed or released. I know that it released on VHS March yeah. 11th of 89. That was pretty early on in VHS world. Is that right? No. 
when did VHS start coming out? Like, when did they start making I mean, VHS? I had a VCR when I was like three or four years old. Yeah, yeah but that, that's true. That was during the battles of VHS versus Betamax. I remember the first film my parents rented on VHS, Eraserhead. Sorry, that's a whole other thing, but... <laughs> no, we can go down that path, Have actually. Have you seen Eraserhead? <laughs> no. That's the weirdest. I saw that movie when I was like sick and on meds. <laughs> I had fever dreams that you would not believe. It's bizarre. That's some top-notch parents. So here's a question that we can all answer, and then we'll wrap this segment up. (laughs) I'm talking about when I was an adult. Oh, (laughs) I'm picturing seven-year-old you, and they're like, hey, you're sick. Here's a movie. Just, you know, keep taking your meds. We'll see what happens. As you need them, here's your med, here are your meds. And I'm running this, out to the liquor store, watch this movie. Here's this David Lynch movie that will freak you out. <laughs> so when I was a kid, here's what I remember. Every time my parents would go out like on a date or go out with friends or something, we would always get to rent a movie. We weren't Blockbuster people. Blockbuster was where rich people went. <laughs> we went to a place called Take It Home Video. Oh, the best. Did you know Take It no, Home? No, but I just love these video stores yeah. that were like... It was right next door to Mr. Jim's Pizza, so we'd always get Mr. Oh. Jim's Pizza and Take It Home. I miss this so bad. But here's what I remember. I mean, I still remember like what the walls of this place looked like. Mm-hmm. But every time that they would go out, I would want to rent the same movie. And I, I remember it always that my what brother movie? and I both did. But I'm sure it was just me. Benji the Hunted. Yes. <laughs> yes. My sister was obsessed with all Benji movies. I don't know what That's the deal the one is with, with the Benji. baby uh, mountain lions. Yeah, I think in so. Yeah, he's like, lost, he's in, like, in he's like lost in the woods. Yeah. Benji the Hunted. So my question for you is what was your like go-to VHS rental when you were a kid? Do you know the answer to this question? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, no, let's, hear, let's hear yours because I've got one This too. was like the only rated R movie that I was allowed to watch. There was a note on file at the local video store from my mother that I was allowed to rent You're this kidding. rated R movie. This is amazing. Because I got it this often. What was your video store, first of all? Lakewood Video. It's just the neighborhood nice, one. Nice, love it. Y'all are going to get so excited here. Best of the best. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh God! You were allowed to. I know what you're talking about. I'm just. I was expecting a bigger reaction. It's like a fighting oh, movie. Right? Like, oh yeah, yeah the yeah. Americans they go to Korea and they fight, and he has a chance to kill him because the evil Korean man so, killed my brother. So brothers. your mom Speaking watched this, and she's like, "I think my kids could watch this." Well, if you see it, it's got some very you know. His mom is very patriotic. You should know this. Extremely patriotic. <laughs> That's, it. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic, and it's teaching you some lessons. Yeah, you got to work hard. If my siblings are ever to die and to avenge them against, got to avenge them. Of course, Koreans, the Koreans, obviously. No offense to our best of the best. So you would go, you'd walk down to the video store. You had, I'd ride my bike. Yeah. So, but it was in your neighborhood. Yes, that's so great. It was awesome. We had a video store we went to. I think it was probably like family video. So you're in like small town West Texas. Uh, it wasn't small. I mean, it was Lubbock is small. We, Especially he grew up in, in 89. I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. people, I mean, okay, yes, compared to small. your town. <laughs> right. It's a small town. So go ahead. Okay. Yeah, Lubbock, Texas. Woo. Anyway, we went to a few. We went to Blockbusters for sure. But Rich kid. There was one called, <laughs> there was one called Family Video that we went to. And we would go and rent, and I would rent the same VHS. It was, <laughs> you will never have heard of this. It was a claymation movie called Pogo for President. <laughs> and it was based on, there was, a, <laughs> there was an old comic strip series called Pogo mm-hmm. that was like about a possum who lived in the woods, and he had all these friends. He had like a porcupine was his best friend, all this stuff. Anyway, an alligator. But this movie was like a claymation version of that, 
And he Pogo was running for president, and it was all these. And I watched it so many times that one time we went in to rent it, and they told my mom we were the only people that rented it. And they, <laughs> they were like, just take it. Just give us 10 bucks, and you can have the VHS. I still have the As VHS. As though you hadn't given them 10 bucks in all right, of your right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I still have the VHS of that movie. That's amazing. Anyway, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to find me some Pogo for president. I have no way of watching it. But... That's really funny. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap this segment up. Thank you, guys. I can't wait to have you both back. In fact, I think you might both be back here in just a couple of weeks. So oh, well, perfect. I, so. I look forward to it. Aaron, thank you. Nate. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Yes, Luke. This was awesome. We'll see you. Those guys seriously kill me. I can't tell you how much I love them and look forward to having them back on the show. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, the number one film in the box office this week in 1989 for the second week in a row was the incredibly powerful Lean on Me, starring Morgan Freeman. It was a joy last week to feature his co-star in that film, Ms. Beverly Todd, on the show, and a joy this week to get to visit with the actor who played another major character in that film, drug-abusing high school freshman Sams, the one and only Jermaine Huggy Hopkins. Jermaine Hopkins, welcome to 30 Pop. Thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. So in 1989, you ended up in the cast of Lean On Me playing the character Thomas Sams. This was your first acting gig, right? Yeah, other than, you know, school plays and stuff, where my behavior allowed me to participate in them. (laughs) Other than uh, elementary school plays, yeah, that was my first real professional uh, acting role with professional actors on a professional set to actually a movie. Yeah, I mean, that's a big first film. How did you end up landing the role of Thomas Sams? Well, they had an open call audition. I'm from Newark, New Jersey. So, you know, the school and Joe Clark has been making a real big fuss on the news with everything that he was doing up in the school. And next thing you know, they had a movie that they were making about him and they was having an open call audition and they was looking for some real kids from the inner city that, you know, I was having problems in school and just wasn't actors. So my mom and stepfather at the time read up in the newspaper and said, well, we need to take him over there and see what we can make happen because he always getting in trouble in school. I went over there. The line was wrapped around the corner. Stood in line. The writer came up. After I got closer to the door after a few hours, my mother made me stay. And uh, he came up and asked me, uh, what would I do if uh, the principal caught me in the hallway and I was supposed to be in class? I wound up telling the same thing that was on the script. I never seen the script, but it's what I was saying in school anyway. So <laughs> I just yeah. told him what I would do. I mean, I was that kid, you know, <laughs> in the hallway. So Sam's wasn't too far off from who you were. Nah, uh, I never held the drugs and stuff like that. So that part wasn't before I was just being a mischievous kid that had a relationship with the principal. My, my principal used to call me poor child. Mr. Johnson at Sussex Avenue Elementary School. I always, you know, had a relationship with my teachers and with the faculty because my behavior always required, you know, so much attention. But nowadays, I would have been considered a good kid, you know. But back then, you know, Jermaine, you got to keep, you got to sit closest to the teacher and, you know, all (laughs) of that type of stuff. So, yeah, I I was that kid. So we had Beverly Todd on last week, and she talked a little bit about what it was like on set with you guys being on campus at 
east side while they were in school, right? Yeah, they were actually testing at a certain times when we were there. Yeah, that's we incredible. Were, right, you know, we actually got it done, and the kids were, you know, it was a, you know close to the end of the school year. So you know, you had all the kids and all the faculty were still in the school, but they strategically were able to use different classrooms, different hallways, and stuff like that and filtered the kids another direction and not on the classes where it would disturb them. That's incredible. So there's a couple of scenes that really, really stand out that you were in, in particular the scene where Principal Clark is kind of in your face and you know asking you if you do crack, and you get really emotional in those scenes. I'm curious, as a first-time professional actor, what sort of went into your performance in those scenes? Well, honestly, it was just really off of basic instincts, just thought about, you know, sad things that occurred in my life and just allowed that to filter out. And what it did was at that time, I didn't realize, you know, I could turn it on and off until, you know, I start doing it. A lot of times they say knowledge is gained by actual experience. So I guess by me experiencing that level of acting, you know, now that's something that I can turn on and off when it comes time for a scene. And it seems like to me that it only works for me when I'm actually working. Like if I try to do it, like you just think crying, I just go into it. Uh, you know, I, I, I know for sure it works when the cameras is rolling. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, so I'm looking at the artwork for the film right now, and it, it's actually a picture of Morgan Freeman with his finger in your face, I believe. It's just incredible. Such an iconic film for him. You know, kind of his breakout film, really. I mean, 1989 was really his breakout year. So what an honor to get to be, you know, a huge part of that film. So I want to mention to you, being that you're doing the 30th anniversary and everything, me and my partner, Warren Blunt, from Blackstreet, Teddy Riley, uh, Tyler Perry's play music director, teamed up, and we have a play called Them Lean On Me Boy. I've seen the artwork for this. Yeah, can you tell me about that? Yeah, the play actually stars Riff, the guys that were singing in the bathroom, and myself. Uh-huh. And then what it is, is just 30 years later, I own a school called Academy of the Gifted, where we teach kids musical arts and performance and acting and stuff like that. It's a you know, a art school and riffs now are teachers at the school, but it's about them trying to get back together for a big reunion that we're doing. And what the play really does is it features a lot of the kids from the Academy because the Academy of the Gifted is a real school here in Charlotte, North Carolina, Gastonia, North Carolina. It's an actual real school that received the Obama award. Worm Blunt received the Obama award for the school. So the play has been doing very well. And I also do workshops because along with the tour, we're actually a 501c3 school. So we go to different schools like we have it to where we set up and we do like a workshop where I work with the regular kids, you know, maybe want to get into acting or already into acting and kind of try to give them the same type of opportunity that I received being a kid that just was sitting on a porch that never knew that I had acting skills at all. That's incredible. Right. So my workshop is the Jay Hopkins on me workshop, Jermaine Hopkins workshop. And that's what I do. I allow the kids to come in open for everybody. And also what I do with the workshop is I will allow the kids to audition for different roles in the play. Cause what this would do is 
while we're touring, this creates energy of building the cast from around the nation and giving everybody that opportunity to be a part of something like I got, you know, at a young age and it changed my life. That's incredible. So this is a whole big movement and uh, I'm real proud of it because it does a lot of help and it puts me where I'm still working, but I'm right there hands on face to face with the community. And it's been great. And the response from the community, it's almost like a breath of fresh air. You know, we can all use that. Yeah. So in the play, you're still Thomas Sams, right? Yeah, but in the play, they call me Mr. Sams now. That is incredible. I love it. Yeah. So it just shows that, you know, these doors are open for whoever has the talent that they want to explore. There's nobody that's excluded, you know. Mm-hmm. It's been a great show. I've been having a great time with it and uh we're really looking forward to touring. Jermaine, thank you so much for being on 30 Pop and just for the work that you're doing. I think it's beautiful, the work that you're doing and the work that you've done over the course of your career. So excited to get to talk to you and hope to talk to you again. Hey, man, I appreciate you guys giving the time for the 30-year anniversary for a legendary movie that touched and changed so many people's lives across the country and around the world, to be honest with you. Perfect. Jermaine, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, man. God bless. You too. All right. I can't tell you how excited I was to get to talk to Jermaine. A few years after his debut in Lean on Me, he landed another huge role in the film Juice with Tupac Shakur and Omar Epps. As a lifelong fan of Tupac, I had to chat with him a little bit about their friendship. You can hear that part of our conversation by clicking on the Patreon link in the show notes and partnering with me for as little as $1 a month. Huge thanks to Jermaine for taking the time to chat this week. Thanks also to my brother, Josh Bronner, to Aaron Hale and Nate Williams for being a part of this episode. I also want to say thank you to the folks who rated and reviewed 30 Pop this week on Apple Podcasts. My favorite new review, perhaps ever, was left this week by iTunes user Brantler. And it read as follows. It might not be a DeLorean, but this is a fascinating time machine. I can finally stop my search for a Mr. Fusion home energy reactor because I found my righteous power source to relive my past. 30 Pop blends humor and nostalgia in an efficient package with clever guests and retro-relevant topics. Host Luke Bronner does an excellent job of producing, hosting, and mixing. I look forward to 30 Pop every week. Well, thanks so much, Brantler. I do too. This first month has been a blast, and I can't wait to continue the journey. If you haven't already, be sure to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at 30pop and Instagram at 30pop podcasts. We'll be back next week with episode five. But until then, baby, don't forget my number. 30pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill You Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.